Hello and welcome to LawPod. I am Lee Hedgemantellis, the Principal of Brighton's Lawyers. Now, as you are aware, we've been favoured with some very special guests over the last few weeks, some players from the NRL clubs that we sponsor. But this week, not only do we have a former player of some notoriety, but one who has transitioned successfully into a media career and also as a coach, not just as a coach, but the coach of the Brighton's Lawyers New South Wales Blues. And I speak, of course, of Brad Fittler. Brad, welcome. Thank you. Brad, a phenomenal career, of course. We'll go over it shortly and we'll deal with some historical matters but let's just talk about the game as it is today i was interviewed this morning on the radio and everyone's you know a lot of questions being asked about the the 18th man Mm. hia the changes to the game over the last two years there's no doubt there's been more changes to the game in the last two years than there has been living memory are you a fan Uh, as of the new rule the 18th man i think a little bit more thought needs to be put into it working out who the emerging player is is very important I think in a game where there's been three concussions, says that it, there's a good chance it's been very physical to put a person out there that maybe isn't adept at playing first grade, might be the safest thing to do. So I think we need to be very important who we put out there in that situation. I had a very similar situation. My second game was at Leichhardt, and it was a very violent game. <laughs> uh, it was the day before the semi, week before the semi finals. It was 1989. Both forward packs were in. Incredibly tough men, and in those days... Anyone we know in particular? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hemsley, Roach, Sirenen, the crew. Brooks, yep. Bruce Maguire, mm-hmm. Wayne Pearce. Yep. And so we had a very similar pack, just really tough. And there was, there was three brawls in the first half. Like these two teams were renowned for being for being tough and um, playing aggressive. And I was a reserve. I was 17-year-old. I was still at school. And one of our players was nearly coming off injured. And the coach said, well, for me to get up and warm up, and I'm like... Mate, this ain't the place for a kid to be out there. It's a bit like this. If there's a game where there's been three concussions, do you think that's a place to put an emerging player? Mm. It mightn't be. And we don't know what an emerging player is as yet. That's right. I think yeah. Maybe a bit more thought. I think at the moment everyone's... Um, it's one of those topics at the moment which uh, I've actually got in my phone. Consensus Statement on Concussion in Sport, the fifth international conference on concussion in sport held in Berlin, October 2016 and published 2017. This was the last time they got together. I believe they're getting getting together again soon. Residual effects and a cause and effect relationship has not yet been demonstrated between CTE and SRCs or exposure to contact sports. As such, the notion that respected concussions or subconcussive impacts cause CTE remains unknown. Mm. So I think without a doubt we know that getting hit in the head isn't good for you. Yep. Without a doubt. And I think you know, and I think everyone's behaving very responsibly at the moment. So I think at the moment I think it's just one of those topics that everyone wants to talk about. Yeah. Make sure you need to take a breath. And I made comment this morning also, it's not really the eighteenth man, is it? It's a nineteenth man because most clubs travel with an eighteenth in any event mm. in case someone gets injured during the warm up. So all of a sudden you've got a nineteenth. So that's two that you're potentially now pulling out of say the reserve grade or a junior that's or right. a junior grade. And given that last year with COVID, uh, there was no junior grade football, these blokes have been, haven't played for quite some time, so they really need to be very careful. And the other question I had as well, why draw a distinction between HIA and not another type of injury? What if you've got, you got four blokes on the bench, let's say three of them go down with a knee injury? Well, I think HIA has just become so sensitive. And it's, very, it's just very hard to argue at the moment because I think people see future consequences to your brains a lot more severe than future consequences to your knee or your shoulder. I think that's where the difference has been been set. So I don't know enough to make comment other than the fact that mm. I feel like and we need to take a bit of a breath at the moment. I think on the weekend we saw three HIAs and from what I remember, that's the only time it's ever happened. I can't remember of another game. So 
you know. No, I agree with you. I think they've got to take um, take a breath, as I say, mm. before they um, just jump in and introduce rules like now in round five. Because once you've introduced a rule, it's almost impossible then to remove it. That's right. Uh, all right. So, so as far as the new rules are concerned, though, in terms of the play the ball, the six again and the like, ball going out, handover, six again instead of a penalty you know, for interference and the play the ball. Has it sped up the game? I mean, I was talking to Andrew Voss recently. He says it hasn't sped up the game at all. The game's not fast. It's just that the ball's at more active for longer. So, and I, and I saw a report the other day to say that the ball is active now for 65 minutes of the 80. Mm. That's why it feels faster. Is it a better product? Yeah, without a doubt. Well, we're not looking at scrums or we're not looking at penalties. There's less pressure on referees because you can blow six again and the game just keeps going so we don't get to dwell on a penalty or get to watch what the penalty was about and we get to criticise it or judge it. So the fact is most of the time, by the time they've waved their hand again for six again, then play's already moved on and your thoughts have already moved on. So I believe it takes pressure off the referees and the game's more, more mobile, mm. less penalties, less scrums. And apart from that, it's the same. Mm, fair enough. You mentioned earlier, of course, how you started. You said you were 17 years in your second mm. game now there at Leichhardt, whatever. Now, 17-year-olds have been in the news a lot lately, of oh. course, with young Joseph Swali. Um, I wonder whether we're going to see him play shortly. Who knows? But from your perspective, looking back as a 17-year-old, was it a mistake? It wasn't a mistake? It was the right thing to do at the time? Happy with it? Yeah, happy with it. I know Gus had an opinion that we, if we could keep everyone back, that'd be good. But our game, I just don't think we have enough people in our country, in our game, to be able to do that. So the way we play, people retire in their early 30s. They're the best, and they're the ones who have lasted the longest. So to hold people back to where they're 22 doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's going to last till they're 38. It's just not the way our bodies are designed, I don't think, and our game doesn't support that. So when you talk about maturity, obviously the the physical maturity is one thing, and I think there's a, there's a discussion around when I was 17 compared to someone who was Jordan Rankin, for instance, who was 16, mm-hmm. you know, I was twice the size of Jordan Rankin, mm. you know, and uh, I know there's some other players that started at 16 that, you know, things didn't work out for them either, but I mean, there's just as many arguments to say that starting it, you just got to be mature. You've got you to put it in the hands not only of a team, because I think sometimes obviously coaches and clubs put the club before players, um, but you know, having someone look over, overlook, oversee that, it's not a bad idea. And I think when you see the kid at the Roosters at the moment, he's very mature. Mm-hmm. He's taking mature actions from a point of view of even his social media sites and different things like that and the way he treats that part of his life because that's where a lot of their pressure comes from. And then there's the other side of it, the physical side, and he's very much physically, as physical as anyone playing at the moment anyway. Yeah. Well, you're right, though. You make a valid point. Um, if your end point as a professional rugby league player is 36 years of age, mm. it's not going to be lengthened, is it? To be, you know, because you start later, it's still going to end at 36 years of age. Who should the decision be for deciding when a player starts? Is it the family? Is it the club? Or do you think the NRL has a role to play the way it has with Joseph Swaley? I think they do. Okay, and I think they're they're responsible in the way they did. They, you know, obviously met him personally. When I spoke to Trent Robinson, the things they had to do to get the ticket of approval from the league, it wasn't just a matter of shaking the bloke's hand and seeing that he, he could hold a conversation. They had to go, you know, psychiatrists, doctors, all sorts of different things they had to tick off. And they have, you know, whatever, what they've done is extremely appropriate. No, no, I think, I agree. I think they're to be congratulated. I understand mm. they went out to the school, they spoke to his principal. They've um, done a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Above and beyond. Psychologists, the whole yeah. lot. So counsellors and whatever. So they are to be congratulated. And if he is, I mean, there's a school of thought, if he's, if he's good enough, he's old enough. At the moment. And like I said, I don't think just because you start later means you're going to, last longer into the mm. competition. Uh, 
it's just a, a game where you've got to train hard and you play hard and most bodies don't last that long. No. Uh, just uh, getting back to those rule changes that we spoke about previously, there's no doubt that you're looking at the squad for the Blues this year and have been for quite some time. Mm. Have the rules impacted on the sort of player that you would pick for the Blues this year? Well, it'll still come down to how players play for their club. So, you know, the thing I've always looked at is how, how people represent their own club. So that's the one thing that will never change. I think different players are going to adapt to the rules a little bit differently, and we've seen that early on. But, you know, it, it just helps these days if you're playing in a team that's winning in it and a club that's winning. That definitely puts your case forward to make representative teams. Mm. And Origin's been around now for 40 years, of course, and it's been very successful beyond anything anyone could have expected back mm. in the day. And it's always traditionally been played in you know, the middle of the year, and it's over a fairly extended period, five or six weeks. Last year, because of COVID, it got compacted into 14 days. Mm. What, sort, what additional challenges did that pose? I, I know the boys were in camp, but playing three intense physical games within 14 days, that must have been a real challenge from the coaching perspective. And travel. And travel. Um, yeah, yeah, we're travelling down to Adelaide on the day of the game, playing the game, travelling home, getting home at 3, 4 in the morning. And then obviously Queensland come down to ANZ and then we flew up there for the last game. So yeah, it was tough. Mm. You know, mm. The players needed a good rest after that, so... I didn't quite get the question out to Craig Billam the other day what he thought was more important, a day of travel or a day rest. You know, I think when you looked at the Penrith-Melbourne game, Penrith had a five-day turnaround, Melbourne had a seven-day turnaround but had to travel home and then travel back up. So the advantages, you know, I wonder what sports science is saying about the advantages of mm. a day off compared to a day's travel. Well, let's hope that we're not going back into that because at the moment there's a couple of positive cases and let's hope they can deal with that and we can just get back to normality. There'll be more cases. Oh, just, <laughs> it really is a worry. Let me do. I think we're having a few games played down here now. There's a double header at Jubilee or something on yeah, the weekend. Good. Yeah, yeah we're, we've adapted well. All right. Well, look, you're here in Liverpool, of course. We're chatting with the spiritual home of Brighton's lawyers. Now, this is an area that would be uh, familiar to you, having mm. grown up only, what, 10 minutes away? Yeah, I remember used to roller skate just down, down the road. Uh, that was one of the things I used to do every week. I loved it. And I grew up in Ashcroft, which is just down Elizabeth Drive, turned left at Maxwell's Avenue. And it was a fantastic place to grow up. Okay. Uh, earliest memories? Earliest memories, school, uh, footy. That's all I really did. All right. Now, about football, though, I mean, what was, the, what was the introduction to football? What was the attraction? Was there someone in the family that played, a, a relative, someone that you knew? Or no, I grew up in a block of flats. I had a single mother and the fellow that lived upstairs his son was a year older and said uh, we used to kick a ball around out the front. Only, I was only about three or four years old. I was just a baby. And he dragged me along. So there was a team called Sadler Bulldogs who were just just around the corner. So we played for Sadler Bulldogs in about the under fives and sixes, I think it was. So Are they still with us? I, don't, I, don't, I haven't heard you know their what? name. It's amazing. Within that area of Ashcroft where I grew up, if you put a five-kilometre circle, which would capture Liverpool, yep. it'd be, there used to be about eight or nine teams. Every age group, full. It was sadly a Busby, Heckenberg, Green Valley, Cartwright, Woodlands, Ashcroft, Damons, uh, Liverpool City, obviously. They were all just full. Now there's none. There's well, possibly one. I think Liverpool have a team. I think that's right. Look, it's been an incredibly fertile breeding ground, there's no doubt. The number of boys that have come out of you know, mm. the southwest of Sydney, extending all the way to um uh, won't be for a while. There's no teams left. Uh, no, that's probably right. All right, so you progress through the junior ranks, whatever, and we know that you, you make great at 17 years mm -hmm. of age. Okay. At what age did you think to yourself, hang on a minute, I can make a career out of this? Well, I never did. It was in the days, rugby league wasn't seen as a career, it was seen as something you loved to do. And 
Um, I don't remember coming through aspiring to play for Australia or aspiring to play for anyone. I just loved playing. And it happened, I finished my rep season at Penrith, SG Ball, and I knew the, the coach of the reserve grade team. I played with his son. He was in our representative team. And he called me in one day, this is just after that had finished, and he said, would, would you want to come up and play grade this year? And it was just me and my mum, and so I just sat back and we said, well, I don't know. I was a bit scared, obviously, playing men. And I just said yes one day, and that was it. So I played one reserve grade game and then played first grade the week after. Biggest influence on your junior career? Junior career, I think all my coaches were, were very helpful. I had a, mum had a few partners over that time, which uh, they were very good to me. A lot of my coaches were very good to me, so you know, I think a lot of people gave me a lot of their time, so I didn't, I didn't miss much growing up. Okay, so you came through great, of course, made an instance in the splash, a huge sensation, 17 years of age and whatever, and, and played State of Origin at 18 mm. and the like, uh, and then uh, off to the Roosters. A lot of thought behind that? Well, it was pretty much, I think, the only time I've ever been in court, because uh, it was obviously the Super League days, and what had happened was it was they were sort of fine on the legal side of, was it Penrith walking out on the league or was it me walking out on Penrith, which was the stronger legal side? And it was Penrith walking out on the league, so it meant that my contract with the RL stood and the one with Penrith didn't. So um, what happened was that there was a time where when Super League came along, players decided if they wanted to go with Super League or stick with the RL, and I chose the RL. You know, it's funny, that's... um. I mean, I can remember those days very clearly. It was like a you know, distant memory now. But, I mean, it, it's very hard to explain, I think, to this generation what that was like at the time and how dramatic it was <laughs> and how lucky, I think, that the league got through because it, it, it could have gone the other way. It could have been a disaster. But well, it, it was for a long time, I thought. Yeah, you know, what, what, for was, years, like, there was a lot of people that just lost faith in the game mm. and stopped, stopped supporting the game. And I think it's taken a long time to, to come back to where, you know, that's not in people's minds anymore, that okay. period. Okay. Um, you went through your career, Dalian medals, uh, too many to mention, uh, played for Australia, of course, etc. Highlights. Are there any personal achievements that you think that really reflected uh, on you personally in your career, things that you take particular pride in? As opposed to a team yeah. sport, I understand it's a team sport, but something where you've walked off the field and you said to yourself, I, I gave that my best. And well, playing in the nines. Uh, that was I was 42. Mm. So it's only a couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I took it serious. Yeah. I trained hard. I actually pulled a muscle in the first game. <laughs> so I'd, I did my quad. Is that, just, is, that, is that what you scored? No, the, well, actually... I, length of the field? Or? Well, the reason it took so long to get to the troll line was because actually I'd, I'd hurt my leg the day, uh, in the morning. So we played uh, Parramatta, I think. Parramatta the first game. And then Brisbane the second game. So, but... Getting back out there and training hard, and I spent a lot of time with my daughter training out the back. We were living at Rushcutters Bay at the time, and then spending time with the Roosters and some of these young kids coming through. See why Takiaho was only a kid mm. coming through. I played with Mitchell Pierce. There was a few other players, but it was fantastic, and that was a real highlight. And I remember because I've always had something with the the New Zealand people. Of course, we beat them in the grand final, so we could just have this little connection. And uh, Eden Park, walking down in front of the grandstand, and as I come down, just them. Everyone there acknowledging me. At one stage, I think they all pretty much stood up and my kids were up in there. My kids had never seen me play. So, and that was just a really overwhelming, you know, I was extremely grateful for that moment to feel like that. It was incredible. 42 was just amazing. And then the other part of that was scoring that try. All I wanted to do was look fast for my son. Because like I, <laughs> I knew I wasn't fast, but I wanted to look fast. So I was, make, 
I was trying to make sure that I, you know, the stride was there. Yeah. Um, Look, it's, I think it's, uh, it really is incredibly impressive that after all that you've achieved yourself in your career, you speak of playing well in front of your son has that that rates yeah. very highly. I think that was, yeah. Well, I think Tiger Woods said something recently as well when he got the opportunity to play with his son. You know, he's won every accolade, every major in the game many times over, but he said the opportunity of playing with his son for mm. the first time, he says, was the best experience he's ever had in his life. I think that speaks of not only the sport, but fatherhood, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Mm. It was part of that game as well, I did this tackle on Ben Barber and hit him high and I think I injured him actually. <laughs> I felt sorry, but it was a great tackle. Cracking tackle. There's open space everywhere. And anyway, it was a really good tackle. And it was funny when I come off and my daughter came up and said, oh, Dad, that trial was wonderful, you know, and I was so pumped that she enjoyed that moment. And then my son looked at me and said, but the tackle on Ben Barber was better. Mm. It was like... Of course, he yeah, likes he the aggression. He wants the aggression. He understood. Yeah. So that was... You know, I was very grateful for the Roosters and, you know, for the people that made me feel like that at the nines. Well, thank you. That's all the time that we have for episode one of this Law Pod with Brad Fittler. Please stay tuned for episode two, which will come out very shortly.